The bitter hostilities between Iran and Saudi Arabia have destabilised the Middle East for the better part of a decade. Over the years, the rift has spilled beyond the nation's borders, fueling a catastrophic war in Yemen that's become one of the world's worst humanitarian crises. But now the regional rivals have agreed to restore diplomatic relations, thanks in part to China. Jonathan Panikoff is the director of the Scowcroft Middle East Security Initiative at the Atlantic Council, and he's a former US intelligence officer. Jonathan, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Thrilled to be with you. Can you first take us back to 2016 when relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran really soured? What happened? Yeah, so there was a, a pretty long history and a build-up. Iran and, and Saudi Arabia have been going for years off and on, but the um, real break happened for a couple of reasons. Um, you saw an increase of, of Iranian aggressiveness in the region, including arming uh, a variety of entities, prominently in Iraq, but also in Yemen. That started to become a real issue for the Saudis. They felt like they were more and more under threat. Um, and you also had a situation in which at the time, um, the Iranian government felt like it was in a, a better place with the U.S. actually. JCPOA had been signed. It was up and running. But there was increased hostilities with Israel, increased hostilities with the Saudis. And part of that was JCPOA, folks may remember, was actually supposed to be the first part of the deal. There was supposed to be another part that dealt with Iranian malign influence in the Middle East, that really never came to fruition. So Saudi Arabia was really feeling under threat. There was some tit for tat and, and the Saudis and, and the Iranians pulled their ambassadors and cut diplomatic relations. So how and why did China come into the picture? So that, that's obviously become the big focus. So what we've certainly seen is the December visit of Xi Jinping to Saudi Arabia certainly forecast some of this. And then it was followed by um, Iranian President Raisi's travel to um, Beijing last month. I, China, I think, is at a point where it is the largest recipient of both Saudi oil and Iranian oil. It's probably one of the few countries with significant leverage. Um, there actually have been negotiations ongoing for almost two years now between the Saudis and Iranians brokered by Iraq, the so-called Baghdad talks. But the Iranians really had the ability to put some pressure on to, to really try to bring everybody to the table because of the economic entanglement between all of the parties. I think what's surprising to a lot of folks is that China, the assumption has been for many that they really want to stay out of the Middle East other than for commercial trade, bilateral reason, reasons. Now you're really seeing that the potential that, no, they may be a political force in the region. And then what's worrying for a lot of folks, including in Washington and, and in Europe um, and should be in Australia, is what that means in terms of China's goal to play a larger security role, political role in the years to come. Well, the deal will see Iran and Saudi Arabia reopen their embassies, exchange ambassadors, and they've agreed to activate a security cooperation agreement signed more than 20 years ago. Is the deal itself incredibly significant? I think it's significant in that it lowers tensions uh, for the moment. I don't think it's significant that this is 
the start of a brand new Saudi Iranian relationship. The number of problems and the threat perceptions that both Tehran and Riyadh feel um, are not going to be washed away simply by an agreement to exchange ambassadors. Lots of countries that have hostilities still have ambassadors in, in each other's place. Um, Australia still has an ambassador in Tehran, it always has. The reality is, we'll get, I think what is going to be is whether or not the deal holds and can be built upon after this. And that's much less clear. As Iran progresses in the nuclear file, as it still pushes its nuclear capabilities and enrichment, that's something that's still going to be viewed by Riyadh as a real threat, not only to Saudi Arabia, but to the region. And those are the types of actions I think that we need to probably be looking for uh, to determine whether whether or not this is the start of something big or really just a, a bit of a rapprochement to lower tensions now to the benefit of both Iran and Saudi Arabia. China's deepening political engagement, uh, could this eventually lead to intelligence and security cooperation or something more? What kind of impact will it have on, on Middle East security and, and global security? I don't think you're going to see security cooperation immediately, but I think the real concern uh, that I've had and some of my colleagues is that the, the trajectory is you usually start with things like economic and trade and commercial cooperation. That leads to political cooperation and eventually political cooperation leads to intelligence and security cooperation. Um, as I don't need to tell, obviously, anyone listening, uh, in Australia, China's incredibly patient in their strategies. I don't think I would expect to see a big security push by China in the next year in the region, for, interest, in, for example. But you may see it in the next decade. They're much more patient than the U.S. is, much more patient than our European allies, or dare even I say Australia. And, and so that puts things in a little bit of different context of how you have to think about it. Um, the Chinese really are in a place now where their focus has always been in the South China Sea, focus obviously on Taiwan, focus on critical minerals. But I think that we're seeing the potential that China expands. And if it expands its political influence, there's a real concern that that could also be followed eventually by things like security cooperation. It's worth noting that uh, over a year now, China has actually been helping in, in the prime support for Saudi Arabia's ballistic missile program. Um, they've looked to have bases and, and new naval ports in the region. They've said it's ostensibly for humanitarian reasons um, and because they've got so many workers in the region. But what a humanitarian base or a naval port could easily be transformed into something much more security, much more militarized in the future. So I think that's something to look out for. What sort of message does this send to the United States? I think it sends one that the U.S. really needs to be very, very careful about even the perception that it's disengaging from the Middle East. Um, the reality is, again, all those who have said that China only wants economic and commercial ties, I, I think this is the start of proof otherwise. And that's just something that's not just been a, a view in the region, it's been a view here in the United States. Um, I think if the U.S., 
doesn't agree to, to really be a little bit more fulsome in not only working with it, but have been longtime allies, sometimes very troubling allies in their actions and, and both words and deeds. But if they don't work with them and they don't continue to have a big presence in the region, China is going to be more than happy to fill that vacuum. And if that happens, that's going to be really negative for the United States in terms of commercial security, energy security, and ultimately national security. Um, there's a big bit of a debate about this here in the United States about what role the Middle East should play. I think more and more people are more united on China, um, but now those two issues are, are colliding. And so I think the United States is going to have to really think through what its strategy is going to be towards the region for the coming years, because ultimately, once again, it, it brings in China in a way that it hasn't been thought of previously. Jonathan, many thanks for your time. Thank you. Jonathan Panikoff is the director of the Scowcroft Middle East Security Initiative at the Atlantic Council and a former US intelligence officer. You're listening to AVCRM Breakfast. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.